This is the Skeptic Squared Podcast. A safe place to make light of sacred things. My name is Matt. And I'm Corinne. And in this program, we will be discussing current events related to religion, atheism, and skepticism. Our goal is not to insult believers, although that will probably happen from time to time, but rather to share our point of view on these topics in a way which will benefit and entertain others. Or maybe we just want to stroke our own egos. You decide. Welcome to the Skeptic Squared podcast. Today is February 21st, 2016, and with me is my wife, Corinne. Um, I didn't c- come up with a, uh, an adjective beforehand. You don't usually mm. come up with it beforehand. It's always right on the true. fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So, yeah, just, just wife. Just, just wife just, today. Just wife today. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, how are you doing, Corinne? I'm fine. I'm tired. Yeah? Yeah. Busy weekend. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday was rather strenuous for both of us, physically. A lot of moving, moving heavy boxes and all that. Yep. But we don't have to talk about that, though. Nope. That's probably rather boring for most people. Yep. Um, all right, so we got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. Um, we got things about miracles, and we got some politics to talk about. We got some mm-hmm. rantings and ravings from Glenn Beck. Mm-hmm. Um, to start with, um, I think it would be good to start with the uh, the big news here in Utah. Okay. Um, I mean, we, we seem to talk about Utah a lot, but we do live in Utah. It's the only thing we're really familiar with. Right. Um, so the big news for the last week or so, it seems, is that there were a couple of Mormon senators in, uh, in Utah who were trying to pass a, a bill for the state of Utah that would classify crimes against LGBT people as hate crimes. Okay. It wasn't just LGBT people though. No, but that was the part that, that, um, people were so upset about. Right. Um, that caused the hoopla. Right. Um, and so in response to this bill, this hate crimes bill, um, that would have harsher penalties for people that commit crimes, hate crimes against LGBTs. Mm -hmm. Um, the Mormon Church issued a statement. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to, to to give some context, last year I think it was last year, right? They the uh, Mormon Church was super proud mm-hmm. about another bill that was passed mm-hmm. that um, awarded some uh, some rights that I thought that, that the LGBT people had already won, mm-hmm. where they couldn't be discriminated. Not in Utah, <laughs> yeah, where they couldn't be discriminated against in housing and employment. Um, a, you know, a fight that's been won in many other states, mm-hmm. apparently not in Utah. Um, until last year. Until last year. And, and, and only kind of. And only kind of. And, it's a and compromise. Exactly. And that's exactly how they framed it, too, mm-hmm. was it was a compromise. Yes. It was the Mormon church conceding a little bit for the LGBT mm-hmm. people so that the LGBT people would stop railing them for being bigots right. and not allowing them to get married and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And, and now that the Supreme Court has um, legalized gay marriage... That is now, you know, like that's not the, the main issue that the Mormon Church is focusing on. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, so this this hate crimes bill comes up, and the Mormon Church says essentially that the uh, bill that was passed last year mm-hmm. is perfect. Right. It needs it needs no improvements. Right. Okay. And I have uh, an article 
or I think what I found it said the time is not right for improvements. Yeah, but they they uh, they don't actually say what an improvement might be. Right. So so here's the actual statement. This is from KUTV.com, which is a local news organization here in Salt Lake. Um, I don't. Th- are they one of the ones that are owned by the LDS Church, or is that KSL? I think they both are, are they but both? I'm not 100 percent sure. It's really hard to tell. It's really yeah. muddy here in Utah. It seems like just about even everybody... if it's not owned by the LDS Church, it is like in dominated. some way dominated by yeah. the LDS Church because mm-hmm. everyone basically is LDS. Right. The so only, a lot of their the only real exception to that are influenced is like, by that. Yeah. The only real exception to that might be the Salt Lake Tribune. Yeah, that one's not owned by the mm-hmm. LDS Church, which is why my parents stopped subscribing to it a couple oh, really? years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's fun. So here's here's what the the church's um, official statement on the hate crimes bill uh, is. They said the Utah legislature achieved something extraordinary last year in arriving at legislation that protected both religious liberty rights and LGBT rights. They go on. Um, interests from both ends of the politi- political spectrum are attempting to alter that balance. We believe that the careful balance achieved through being fair to all should be maintained. So, in their eyes, that bill, which only um, focused on the rights uh, to not be discriminated against in terms of housing and employment, is what they consider to be balanced and fair. Right. No other rights for LGBT people need be considered, according to the Mormon Church. Mm-hmm. Well, at least according to this statement Mm -hmm. you know i mean is that more or less what you got out of that or yeah more or less Mm -hmm. it's that bill gave them they couldn't be discriminated against in housing and in employment but Mm -hmm. religious people could still hold on to their like they could still basically discriminate like that's more or less what the compromise was right right and well i think what they really focused on with that bill was leaving wiggle room for church businesses yeah, and uh, universities right. like mm-hmm. like Brigham BYU, mm-hmm. like Brigham Young, Brigham Young mm-hmm. University, to be able to have their, um, you know, their, their clauses that say that they can't, or, or that, you know, employees of their university have to be in straight marriages and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't be gay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, like, that was, I guess, their version of balance, right. not not forcing the LDS church mm-hmm. or its, uh, you know, university to start hiring gay people. Right. Um, which would be just, you know, the end of the world, obviously. Or expelling students for coming out as gay. Mm-hmm. Or expelling them for acting on it. Mm-hmm. Or not allowing them to live anywhere in Provo for being right. gay. <laughs> Right, which, I mean, I personally am not aware of any stories along those lines, but it, it would not surprise me at all. No, there that, was one a couple of years ago. We talked oh, yeah, about yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the kid at uh, BYU who um, left the church and was gay and mm-hmm. had to leave his job and his housing and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, um, yeah but, the, but it, it always seems to um, be brushed under the rug. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. like you just don't hear about these kinds of stories very often. Mm-hmm. At least I don't. Mm-hmm. And it seems like I would hear about that kind of stuff more, considering that I keep track on, you know, things like Reddit and various blogs and stuff like that. Um, which kind of leads me to think that maybe a lot of these things are just not 
um, like they're underrepresented. Like people mm-hmm. just don't want to talk about it. Right. You know, or they avoid it or suppress it, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Until so, they're out of the church. <laughs> right. Because, or out of the school or whatever. Right. Because at, talking about it during that, while it's going on, will just make it harder for them to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, which for a lot of people at the the outset of something like that, they want to stay, Mm -hmm. you know. Anyway, so one of the uh, one of these senators, Senator Urquhart, Mm -hmm. I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah, from St. George. Mm -hmm. He's one of the guys that's that's been pushing for the bill. He um, he issued a a rather poignant um, comment Mm -hmm. and I had to do some digging to find the full comment. And he's Mormon. Keep that in mind. Keep, yeah, so keep that in mind. Um, so you'll, you'll find little bits and pieces of this comment from, um, you know, various news, news organ, organizations mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, this is one that I found. Somebody linked to it on Reddit. So this is him speaking at a press conference of Equality Utah, is what they say. Mm-hmm. It says, um, right now, under current Utah law, there is no distinction between painting a smiley face on a synagogue or painting a swastika on a synagogue. Mm-hmm. They are both treated like mere graffiti. My bill, through the efforts of a very broad coalition, would have corrected that. It would have recognized the graffiti and it would have recognized the threat to the Jewish community. I apologize to the Jewish community and to the state of Utah. The legal protections will not be provided against such threats because of a press release issued by my church. Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Right he there. says that, like, <clears throat> my church through a lot of his right. press release. Um, uh, continuing. Right now, under Utah law, there is no legal difference between burning a pile of leaves on a black family's lawn and burning a cross on a black family's lawn. Both are just treated like trespass. Under my bill, our bill that we worked on, we would have dealt with the trespass. We would have also recognized the broader threat against the African-American community. But that's not going to happen now. So I apologize to the African-American community that those protections will not be provided against such threats because of a press release issued by my church. Right now under Utah law, it's happened in an actual case There is no distinction, no legal distinction, between burning a woodshed and burning a Mormon chapel. Both are treated as mere acts of arson. Mm -hmm. My bill would have have dealt with the act of arson. It would have also dealt with the broader threat against Mormons. To my fellow Mormons, I say that such protections will not be provided because the price of legal protection apparently is too high for us in the one state where we actually are a majority. What is that price? It is that our religious protections be coupled with the protections for the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. It is our church which has specifically rejected that balance, balanced approach. So I thought that, that was a pretty poignant and very pointed um, response. Right. You know, like, mm-hmm. and, and really what, what bothers me the most is that it's a... A religious organization that's making the commentary that's affecting these laws, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is not supposed to happen. No, that's why there's a separation of church and state. Right. They're not supposed to have that much power. Mm-hmm. But here we have a perfect example where the state uh, representatives, the senators, the state congress were trying to pass a law, and the church 
that was the majority church in that state made a comment and it and it um, changed the minds of some of the senators to the so much so that it actually didn't pass mm-hmm. like the bill didn't pass because of it right you know mm-hmm. so yeah so I I don't know it's just, it's just like at what point do we just take away the tax exempt status of the LDS church for this kind of meddling right right you know mm-hmm. anyway do you have anything else on this topic I, I don't really have a whole lot else I wanted to say about it mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just interesting because the bill is still in my head kind of a compromise because it's for race, it's for class, it's for gender, mm-hmm. it's for religion. Like, it's all-encompassing. And right. it's just because they mention LGBT people that they think it's not worth the price to pay. Right. Which is uh, incredibly telling, I think, of the church in itself. Right. Exactly. Because this is this would have included a clause that would have pre- protected them. Yeah, exactly. It's not just LGBT people. Right. It would protect them as well. But they weren't willing to allow LGBT people to have that protection. Right. And so they gave up their own protection. Mm-hmm. So that and the, the LGBT protection of everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I have some random statistics in this Salt Lake Tribune article. Okay. Which one were you from? Were you this, from? I have the KUTV one, KUTV one. Okay. which I think had some statistics at the bottom, but you can read yours too. They're probably the same. <laughs> They're probably pretty close to the same. Mm. Anyway, um, the Tribune just has a paragraph where it goes over um, how many hate crimes have been reported oh, in yeah. Utah mm. since the early 1990s. Um, and it said, of those, 49% of victims were targeted for their race. 20% for religion, 17% for ethnicity, 14% for sexual orientation, and 1% because of disabilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me get to the next page. It said that none of those resulted in any prosecutions. So right, because it's, it, th- there is... There isn't a there bill is no or a law crime, yeah, yeah, exactly. that will allow for these people to be prosecuted mm-hmm. for specifically targeting certain people. Mm-hmm. And for, it's just interesting, reasons, yeah. yeah. And it's just interesting too because the second highest statistic is religion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. above sexual orientation. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it, 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 it's offering you more protection. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it. I, I don't know. I, I did actually remember just now a uh, a hate crime example. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was getting into the music scene here locally, um, oh. we did a uh, a, a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. To to raise money for a kid up in Salt Lake who um, had been attacked, he uh, from, from what I recall, this was a couple of years ago. Um, from what I recall, he came out of a club or a bar or something like that downtown, and somebody spotted him and started like harassing him and yelling slurs at him and that kind of stuff, and it resulted in him being beaten up like pretty bad, and. Um, one of the one of the guys that attacked him um, curb stomped him, which is just I don't I don't know. <laughs> Let's not go into it. Right. It's it's <laughs> if you don't know what curb stomping is, don't Google it. No, <laughs> especially not images. Yeah, it's it's pretty awful. Um, so I mean, Utah is not immune to this. Like people right. say that you know, it, you know, this is a, a, a safe state. Um, there's a low crime rate. Um, the the issue of LGBT people being harassed or, uh, you know, being uh, targeted for crimes isn't really a problem in Utah. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe there's some truth to it where it's not as big of an issue as in other areas. Um, maybe that's true. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have comparable laws that ha- they have in other states, you know, to protect people. 
mm-hmm. you know, because other states do have these types of hate crime laws, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yep. Just interesting, too, because this comes right after the church um, basically shut down the marijuana bill, too. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the marijuana bill. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you want to talk about that? I don't know that much about it, I don't it, have to be perfectly a, honest. I, I don't can't have an remember. article on I it. I know but... there were two bills that revolved around marijuana. They didn't let the first one pass, mm-hmm. and I haven't heard about the second one. And I don't rem- I don't know the differences between the two. Yeah. But the church pl- had a heavy role to play in yeah, not so letting the, that pass. The second recent example mm-hmm. of the church, you know, getting its hands dirty mm-hmm. politically. Yeah, and again, one know. of the writers of that law or whatever was Mormon. Mm-hmm. And he, too, had, like, a press conference or whatever where he said, it's the church's fault that this happened. Right, and, and I think... Um, are you talking about the guy from the Salt Lake Tribune, Kirby or something? I, I think don't his know name. his name. Um, I think he's the guy that, that issued the statement. Um, like, if the church wants to get involved in politics, they need to offer an explanation just like everybody oh, else. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't mm-hmm. there's just have this broad exactly. statement say that we shouldn't do this for right. religious reasons. Like, we're against this. Mm-hmm. And then just leave it at that. Right. You know, you need to provide a reason just like any other person mm-hmm. who wants to strike down a law or right. change a law or influence legislation. You have to go through the same processes as everybody mm-hmm. else. But the church, because it's, it's so... Uh, it, it dominates the culture here so much. All it has to do is put out a press release and it will sway voters right. and it will sway senators mm-hmm. and congressmen. And they're just not used to explaining mm-hmm. themselves either. They've never had to before in right. the past. Mm-hmm. It's like their word has just been taken. taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and now people are pressing them for it. Yeah, ever since November, it seems like they've been like really under fire yeah. in Utah mm-hmm. um, for political statements made. Yeah. After that, which is, I think is a good thing. Oh yeah, for sure. Like mm-hmm. it needs to be questioned mm-hmm. <laughs> constantly. Yeah. But after the whole marijuana bill thing passed or didn't pass, my Facebook news feed blew up with like people commenting on it, and most of them were in favor of it. And these are mm-hmm. all like LDS people too, which I thought right. was interesting. Right, because like it's, showing it's... statistics about how cannabis oil like is legitimately helping people and how it's right. a lot more safe than you know the opiates the or whatever opiates, that yeah. you have that. Are law or legal mm-hmm. now? It's yeah, like, absolutely. it's like how 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 do they not like actually see this information and mm-hmm. why are they making this judgment? Like they don't know right. anything, right? Because it's different than just legalizing marijuana. Yeah, it's, it's medical. Me- yeah, it's marijuana. medicinal marijuana. Mm-hmm. It's not so it's everyone can thing. smoke a joint. Mm-hmm. It's not like Colorado, right? <laughs> <laughs> or Washington, or, or California, yeah. or all or the other states that DC. have legalized yeah. marijuana. Is DC one of them? I can't remember. I don't remember. Anyway, um. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to these guys, though, after making such bold statements against the church. My guess is nothing will happen. Not I don't think anything church. will happen right now, mm-hmm. but I think if they kept pushing for these things and kept speaking out against the church and how they shouldn't be like influencing law, I think mm-hmm. it could be something like a John DeLynn or Kate Kelly thing. I think eventually they yeah. could be taken out of the church. It, it would depend a lot on how, how the senators voice their concerns, I think. Um, well, I think that's pretty out there right right if they continue in the vein exactly that's what i'm saying if they continue to do Mm -hmm. stuff like this i think the church is going to take action against them maybe yeah which is all the rage right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean i wouldn't even be surprised if they were called into like the stake president's office and talked to already yeah you know which you know is is another it's a power play it's it's more it is you know of of the mormon church just getting into the business of politics Mm -hmm. where they shouldn't be right you know not if they want to keep their taxes up status. Right. <laughs> At least that's how the process is supposed to work. Yeah. But Okay, so let's uh let's move on. Okay. So 
your family has had some very fun news. <laughs> would you Would you like to explain it? Uh, okay, so my grandfather, um, he has had heart issues in the past. Like he's had, I think, about three heart attacks mm-hmm. since I've been alive. <laughs> so in the last mm-hmm. like twenty seven years, um, actually, it's been more like twenty years. Anyway, mm-hmm. so last week. I got a text from my mom saying that my uh, grandpa was in the hospital because he was having heart problems, mm-hmm. which is kind of a scary thing to get a text about. It's like, oh, crap, <laughs> you know, right. what's happening now? Um, and then eventually she came out and said that it was the doctor said they were blockages in his heart. It wasn't a heart attack. Um, I, I don't know what the blockages mean. She didn't know what the blockages meant either. But anyway, so... Um, blockages mean that he has... Like cholesterol buildup or other things might be built up in his arteries, okay. um, which will reduce blood flow, increase mm-hmm. blood pressure, and can uh, make him susceptible to a stroke. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unless there's, I don't know, maybe like a bone like sticking in or something like that. But, mm-hmm. but usually that's the, the type of thing that they mean by blockages. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so a couple days ago, I texted her to find out how my grandpa was doing because I hadn't heard anything like if he was like out of the hospital or whatever. And rather than responding to my text, she called me, which she loves to do, and I hate, but anyway, <laughs> in this there's, case... There's etiquette. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if I text you, text me back. But I guess in this case, calling was probably better anyway. But um, she said, um, she told me the story of what happened to my grandpa. Mm-hmm. And basically, what happened was, so he um, had to get himself... He lives up in Heber, alone in the mountains, mm-hmm. in like this cabin. Which is far away from Salt Lake. Yeah. Like, it's kind of out in the boonies. Right. They do have a hospital, though, which is good. Mm. So he had to get himself off of the mountain into the Heber Valley, like, um, emergency room by himself. And he gets there, and um, the doctors or whatever basically tell him that he has to, that they're going to have to knock him out Mm. and then jumpstart his heart. And the way he told my mom was that they said, so we're going to do this, and if you wake up, then great. If not, then... Basically, you're dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is generally how it works. <laughs> generally, yeah. <laughs> um, and my grandpa is 73. He's lived a long life. So, like, mm-hmm. if he died, it wouldn't have been the end of the world for him. Well, I mean, it was the end of the world for him. But it wouldn't have been, like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, devastating yeah. or whatever. It would have been sad. But, you know, he's a pretty easygoing guy anyway. So, he was like, well, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he's like, but I guess I probably need a priesthood blessing. And again, we live in Utah where just about everyone is LDS. If you talk to a man, he's right. probably got the Melchizedek priesthood and has oil on his keychain that he keeps in his pocket at all times. Right. And we've, we've talked about the, uh, the priesthood blessings before, but, but basically it's, it's like um, in uh, evangelical Christian circles where they like lay on hands and say mm-hmm. a prayer to God to like heal you or give you, the, you know, this or that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's along those lines. Right. So anyway. So basically, they had to, uh, I, I don't know, they called another guy in, the anesthesiologist called another doctor in or whatever, and um, him and the other doctor that he just called in administered a priest a blessing to my grandpa. Mm-hmm. And my grandpa said that in the middle of the blessing, he suddenly felt all the pain go away. Mm-hmm. And um, when the blessing ended, both doctors looked at the heart monitor or whatever, and his heart was like working properly again. Mm-hmm. And they were both like looked at each other. <gasps> do you see what I see? What does that mean? Like, what just happened? <laughs> um, 
So basically, they classified it as a miracle because right. my grandpa's heart suddenly started working better. Right, because <laughs> what else would it be? Yeah. And this is my mom telling me this. She knows right. that she doesn't know exactly to what extent I'm out of the church, but she knows uh, that I am having struggles. Right. And so I just know that's why she called me to tell me about this miracle. She wants it to bolster she, your yeah, faith. Yeah, she wants to bolster my faith. Mm. I mean, luckily, we didn't have, like, a huge long discussion after it. I just kind of went, like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's kind of a scary thing to happen, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> because, because I don't know be anything me- about medical stuff anyway. So right. it all sounded really scary to me anyways. Like, he's got right. blockages in his heart, and he's not. he might not wake up after they knock him out or whatever. Right. But they didn't end up having to knock him out. Right. And, and uh, I mean, we, when you first told me this, mm-hmm. um, I, I gave my, like, you know, two cents on what could be the natural explanation for what happened. Right. Because um, I asked you, I was like, like, I don't know anything about this. So I don't know. I mean, I right. can't call it a miracle, but mm-hmm. I don't know anything medically. So I don't know, like, how to explain that it could have happened naturally. Exactly. And that's when you started to explain what happened. Exactly. So, so before we get into that, mm-hmm. even if we didn't have a natural explanation, mm-hmm. calling it a miracle, right. invoking supernatural forces mm-hmm. or God or anything like that, would be an argument from ignorance. It's, right. a, it's a logical fallacy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, if you don't know what the reason is for something, you can't just assign it a supernatural reason. Right. You know. Right, which is, like, I get my grandpa saying, oh, it's kind of a miracle. But he mm. was with two doctors that could have explained what naturally had happened. But right. the two doctors termed it a miracle and didn't bother to explain what could have naturally happened. Like, they didn't even right. look into it. Mm-hmm. Right, so, so here's my understanding of what happened. Um, so right attached to the heart is what's called a sinus node. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a little gland kind of thing that um, it, it issues an electrical pulse Mm-hmm. Um, very uh, consistently rhythmically, right? Mm-hmm. And it sets the heart rate of the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's the natural pacemaker, mm-hmm. okay? So when a person, like your grandfather, mm-hmm. um, goes in, has heart troubles, they have an irregular heart pattern, mm-hmm. and they decide that he needs a pacemaker, mm-hmm. they replace the sinus node with a, a little mechanical device that sets the electrical pulses that makes the heart contract um, consistently mm-hmm. and uh, have a, a regular heartbeat again. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's influenced by um, chemicals in the brain and, and stuff like that, but it's mostly done by the little sinus node. Mm-hmm. Um, so with a defibrillator, the AED, right, you have uh, an electrical charge that kind of jump starts the sinus mm-hmm. node. And that, in a lot of cases, if you have an irregular heartbeat, then it will kind of set it back on track. It's mm-hmm. like rebooting a computer, mm-hmm. kind of like that idea. Okay. And then that will, um, for a lot of people, will will you know get the heart going um, normally again. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some cases, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that to me sounds like what they were talking about. Right. You know, it's like we're going to try to jumpstart your heart again. We're going to mm-hmm. try to get that sinus node back on track mm-hmm. so that you have a regular heartbeat again. Yeah. And if you don't, well, then. You might die. Yeah. You know, but mm-hmm. if you do, great. Yeah. You know, and so as they're giving him the priest of blessing, what happens, um, and, and this is something that's been shown in various studies through mm-hmm. like, you know, meditation and that kind of stuff. You you have this this uh, brain state where you're, you're calming down mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a placebo effect, mm-hmm. right? Somebody is doing something that you think in your mind is going to help you, mm-hmm. help you calm down. Right. And then your mind just starts calming down mm-hmm. a little bit. If this is something that you really genuinely believe in, mm-hmm. it can happen like that. Right. And and it, it's easy to explain through placebo effect, mm-hmm. through natural processes, right. through like all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and 
your grandpa still had to have a pacemaker put in. Yeah. You know, exactly. it didn't fix the problem. No, it, it didn't. just made it so he didn't die in that moment. Right. It made it so they didn't have to put him under and mm-hmm. jumpstart his heart. Right. He just calmed down enough that it was able to restart itself, basically. Yeah. So this, uh, this story actually reminds me of an incident that happened on my mission in mm-hmm. Bulgaria. Um, we had a, a uh, so, so one of the things that the missionaries do in smaller branches, so a branch is like a ward, it's just a really small ward, mm-hmm. um, usually under 100 people kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this particular branch, um, I think, had probably about 50 members regularly. Okay. And we would do things like family home evening, and we would have different activities throughout the week. We had English classes, like all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think this was after or during um, an FHE group, uh, family home evening group. Okay. And we had a, a gentleman who had epilepsy. Mm-hmm. I, I believe his name was Pepe. Okay. And he was a uh, he was like thirty something years old, tall, thin. He was uh, he was kind of skittish a little bit, a little jittery, but he was super nice. Like, mm-hmm. like all of his quirkiness stemmed from the fact that he was epileptic. You okay. Know? But one of the things that uh, happens with epilepsy is that you are prone to seizures. Okay. Yep. Now, missionaries come out into the mission field at the age of. Well, now it's like 18, 19 years old. Um, and, you know, so, so most of them are about 20, 21 um, when this incident happened. And, you know, they don't have any medical training. They don't have any real, like, college-level science training. Most people don't know that much about um, first aid, except for what they get in, like, Boy Scouts, um, right. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, like, for me, this was, I think, my first um, real experience with a seizure. He, he dropped down to the to the floor, started okay. shaking, mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we all, like, surrounded him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like what, what do we do? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the guys, one of the missionaries, suggested that we give him a blessing mm-hmm. because that's, ex- that's immediately where um, the missionary mind goes. It's like, oh, my gosh, we have a real problem. We, we better call God. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> we can't call 911 mm-hmm. because we don't know if Bulgaria has a 911, mm-hmm. you know, so better call God. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> better call God. It's like better call Saul. <laughs> better call Saul. Better call God. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so, so this missionary, um, you know, puts his hands on Pepe's head, mm-hmm. gives him a blessing, says like, you know, God's going to heal you. You're going to come out of this okay. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to lose your life and blah, blah, blah. All that kind of, kind of stuff, right? And, you know, within a minute or two of this blessing, seizure stopped and Pepe opened his eyes. He was kind of groggy a little bit, stood up. Um, he was very apologetic, so, like, so, so sorry to, like, disrupt the evening. Um, I'm just going to go home now. I don't feel very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Like, right. I'm, I'm sorry for the inconvenience. Mm-hmm. You know, super gracious yeah. about it, right? And the missionaries immediately thought that this was a miracle. Mm-hmm. It's like, like we just witnessed the power of God. Yep. The priesthood power. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, as I went through my college courses at BYU, um, I, I, you know, learned different things in my science classes and anatomy classes and um, that kind of stuff. And, and I learned a little bit about seizures. Okay. And it turns out that most seizures don't last more than two or three minutes by themselves anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. So statistically speaking, regardless of whether we had given Pepe a blessing, 
It would have ended. It would have ended within about the same, the amount, same of amount of time as right. it ended when we gave him a blessing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, but in our minds, it was a miracle because right. that's what we had programmed ourselves to see. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it sounds almost exactly like what your family is doing with your grandpa's experience. Yeah. Like they've, they, they have that mindset mm-hmm. going into the situation. Mm-hmm. And so they don't think to look for a natural explanation. Right. They jump to the religious predisposed conclusion that mm-hmm. they have. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Seizures. (laughs) I had a friend in um, that had seizures. Like her first one was when um, was my first year at girls camp. Mm -hmm. She wasn't technically supposed to be there, but her mom was the young women's counselor, so she came up with her and stayed. Okay. Um, But that was the first time she'd ever had a seizure, and it was the same thing. She had a seizure. They gave her a priesthood blessing, and then they took her to the hospital, and Mm. she was fine. Yeah. And then it happened again a couple years later, again at girls camp. And same thing, you know, my dad was there that time and gave her a priest of blessing, then took mm. her down to the hospital and she was fine. But it turns out she was having seizures because she was dehydrated. That's why she had seizures. So if she just kept oh. hydrated, she wouldn't have the seizures anymore, mm. which is basically it. But it was just interesting because she had a seizure another time when she was just with my sister and her other girlfriend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the three of them. There weren't any priesthood people around, but she still made it to the hospital and still survived. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. It's just interesting. That yeah. they think that a priesthood blessing in those two cases mm-hmm. saved her life, but in that one case, she didn't need one and she still survived. Right. And if she would just drink water, she right. would be fine. <laughs> and and, and uh, with seizures, I, I don't think that they're, they're usually fatal. Like, I, no, I don't no. think that's actually the case. No, I think, like, if, like, the really bad ones, like grand mal seizures, I think you could sustain brain damage or something. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, hers were small. Again, it, they lasted not even up to a minute. It mm-hmm. was usually a pretty quick thing. And she was usually pretty groggy afterwards. Like, she right. usually couldn't come back for, like, a day or two. And then it was, then she was fine. And it's, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> everyone just made sure she drank a lot of water. But, right. yeah. Yeah, it's not like she's going to die from it. Right. Yeah. It just can be debilitating in some other ways like maybe she can't drive but she can so Mm -hmm. yeah it's just interesting yeah and it it reminds me of uh, a thing that we've mentioned before is this is an example that we uh that that uh, is was given by russell glasser from the atheist experience Mm -hmm. uh where he said and nonprofits, and and nonprofits, um both very good programs um where he says that you know his dad says that he has a headache, and so he takes an aspirin and says a prayer, and then mm-hmm. his headache goes away. Therefore, prayer works. Right. And his response, Russell Glasser's response is, well, how do you know that the prayer did anything? Because aspirin can relieve a headache all by itself. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it that the aspirin or the, the, the prayer, prayer actually, actually did? did? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the same kind of thing. Like, when you're defibrillating a heart right. or when you're, when you're using a, a, a mechanism, a mental mechanism that mm-hmm. can cause a placebo effect to calm somebody down and lower their heart rate, like, like, you know, or, or with Pepe, like, uh, you know, the, the seizure just kind of naturally ends after a couple mm-hmm. of minutes. How do you know that any of the supernatural stuff or any of the prayers or the blessings that you do have any kind of effect whatsoever? Right. You know. Right. So that leads me into this other thing that I found. I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago. Okay. There was a crash on I-15 um, where a woman driving like a midsize SUV or whatever like lost control of the car or something mm-hmm. and it rolled over quite a few times and it ejected her out of the car and i think it also ejected her daughter out of the car but the story focuses on the lady okay so she like flew across like the road 
like landed on the other side or something across mm-hmm. the median or something like that. And, you know, obviously traffic stop, people get out to see like if they're, if she's okay, you know, call nine one one or whatever. Right. And this one guy gets out and um, is part of the whole thing and then gives her a priesthood blessing. Mm-hmm. And then she's taken to the hospital and they find out that she has no like real, real like she doesn't have any head damage she didn't break her neck she doesn't have a broken back like she doesn't mm-hmm. have any traumatic injuries it's right. just she's really cut up and bloody right and so she's susceptible to infection <laughs> yeah but like the way the article is phrased makes it sound like because this man gave her a priesthood blessing mm-hmm. that her neck or whatever other injuries she that could have been life-threatening mm-hmm. like were healed or something like that right and the like they, they even say, it. it's like, mm-hmm. even the doctors can't explain why she didn't break her neck. It's like, well, she landed lucky. Like, she right. was just really lucky in this case. <laughs> like, that, anytime you're thrown from a vehicle, that doesn't automatically mean that you well, there, are going to sustain a life-threatening injury. There are cases where, where people have uh, uh, jumped out of airplanes, skydived, mm-hmm. right? And their parachutes, both parachutes, don't, don't work. Don't open, uh-huh. And the, um, they just go limp. Like, well, I guess I'm going to die. Just... Mm-hmm. Why fight it? So they just go limp. And then they hit the ground and they, you know, they bounce really high if they hit land on their chest and like break all their ribs or, you know, you know, break all their other bones or whatever, but they survive. Ooh. It's like, and, and this happens. Okay. It's like, wow. <laughs> it's like, and, and, but you, your inclination would be that they would just die instantly on impact. Right. You'd be splattered. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they just kind of went limp allowed them to have enough flexibility that they didn't have you know, as severe huh. um, injuries. Interesting. You know? So this isn't like a strange phenomenon. Right. I haven't you heard know? anything else about her. I mean, she did mm-hmm. go to the hospital. But the other interesting thing was that they mentioned her daughter being ejected from the car too, but they don't say anything about her after her daughter was ejected from the car. So um, it's like so she, she could have <laughs> been like really hurt or she could have died, but they don't right. mention her in there at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It was just interesting. Yeah, I I heard uh, about an incident like a couple years ago where a lady saw that she was about to get into a wreck driving and she just literally gave Jesus the wheel. Oh my gosh, I heard about that. And (laughs) if I remember correctly, she ended up like causing like the wreck to be even worse than it should have been. Uh Like if she had had, like tried to maintain control, it would have turned out a lot better. Right. But she just gave Jesus the wheel. Mm -hmm. You know, those were her words. Like she gave it to the wheel, to Jesus and... Yeah, just yeah. awful. Yeah, but um, she survived. But she survived, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, this reminds me of a, another incident that happened um, that, I, that I heard about from a few different sources. A lot of different atheist blogs were talking about it at the time. But one of my Mormon friends posted this on Facebook, which is really weird because it's actually a Catholic story. It's not a Mormon story. Um, this, and this is a, an individual... Um, the person who posted this, somebody who I have gotten into confrontations with about religion on Facebook in very public ways before. Okay. <laughs> um, but he, uh, he posted this article that talked about uh, a car crash where um, they couldn't get the lady out of the car um, and uh, the, the firefighters had, like, the jaws of life going, and they were trying to, like, get it to, you know, cut a big enough hole so that they could drag her out and save her from the uh, impending explosion and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm. Like, painting this big picture. And uh, the, the woman asks for somebody to come pray with her, mm-hmm. okay? And, you know, at, at first, like, nobody, um, like, steps up to pray with this lady who's stuck in this car. 
And uh, then this man approaches, dressed up as a Catholic priest, mm-hmm. and says, I'll do it. He goes up to her, says a prayer, says a blessing, uh, whatever their ritual is, I don't know mm-hmm. exactly. And then, uh, and then, according to the article, he leaves the scene, and nobody sees him again. Mm-hmm. And they, the jaws of life magically start working properly, and they can get the lady out of the car, mm-hmm. and everybody's looking around for this priest. Nobody can find him. And so immediately, they assume it's an angel. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. and, so, and so this was... This was like the story that my Mormon friend posted, right? Mm-hmm. So I did a little bit of digging, and uh, I found some uh, some interesting sources, um, including an interview with with the guy, the priest, mm-hmm. um, explaining what had actually happened. Mm-hmm. He was uh, oh, oh, and nobody recognized him. That was a key point. Yeah, nobody recognized him from the local parish. Uh-huh. Okay, well, he was not from the local parish. He was visiting mm-hmm. because the the priest that was supposed to give the sermon at mass that week was sick. And so he was filling in from another city. He was driving in. He saw the incident. So he came in, he, he volunteered to give this lady a, a prayer mm-hmm. and stayed with her for a few minutes and then went back to his car and continued driving. Mm-hmm. And then he saw all these people like assuming that he had been an angel. Mm-hmm. And he's like, now I believe in angels as much as anybody, but we need to, you know, get our stories straight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and it the the thing that uh, that bothered me, I think, the most about this particular individual posting this this on his Facebook page was the fact that he didn't follow up on it. Right. He didn't ever acknowledge the fact that the priest came forward and said that he wasn't an angel. Mm-hmm. He just left it as a faith-promoting story right. that bolstered his idea of what an angel can do, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which I find problematic. Well, yeah, especially when the priest actually came forward. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There was another story that happened a couple of months ago or something. I don't remember where it was at. Uh-huh. But this couple, young couple, was driving down the road, like at 70 miles an hour, which I'm thinking is probably faster than they were supposed to be going. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, he lost control of the truck, and they crashed into this pole. But miraculously, they mm-hmm. didn't have any, like, life-threatening injuries. I think the worst that happened was the girl in the passenger seat got, like, a concussion or something. But neither of them could really recall what had actually happened. Like, it, it jarred their mm-hmm. memory enough that it was like, yeah. But it right. slowly started coming back to them, you know. And right. they went back to the site of the accident and realized just like I mean it was like a lucky crash they crashed into a pole that happened to go like cut right in between them rather than cut one of them in half Mm -hmm. so it could have been a worse crash than it was but the girl what I thought was funny this is like the second article that they've come out with talking about this crash and each time it comes Mm -hmm. out they have more and more to add to the story and this time she talks about how she remembered feeling this presence and like seeing this white light and this figure next to her that was mm. protecting her through the whole crash. And she can't explain it, but it's what right. saved her life. It, then how... She can't explain it, but she knows that it saved her exactly. life. Exactly. That doesn't make any sense. No. <laughs> oh, and also, I forgot this part. They had their Bible in the car. <laughs> Yeah, and so when they went back and found the Bible, the Bible had been opened to some verse that talked about, I don't know, like a miracle or or life. I don't even remember what the the scripture was. But they read this scripture as being a message from this entity or whatever that had saved their lives. Yeah, because, oh my gosh. 
obviously yeah. you could find something supporting your religious beliefs by right. a random page in a Bible. Right. You know? Yeah. But it also reminded me of when, um, at church, were you ever like encouraged to like, when you had a question to just kind of like open up the scriptures and read from the page that you landed yeah. on and you would probably find an answer there. I, I, I've heard people, um, talk about that and I've, I've, I remember trying it a few times, mm-hmm. but I mean, nothing really profound ever no, happened. Yeah. I had the same experience cause it mm-hmm. was harped on quite a bit when I was, a younger teenager and so i kept trying it was like okay i need an answer to this or i need Mm -hmm. to feel better about this it's like this isn't working like nothing is coming up you (laughs) know the nephites are fighting the lamanites again yeah how am i supposed to draw any sort of moral (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) it's like i would find something um better related to my problem if i just like looked up it looked it up in the bible dictionary than just Mm -hmm. flipping open to a random page but right so yeah i don't know yeah just interesting Cool. I just realized I say interesting a lot when I don't know what else to say. Oh, yeah? So I apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. We, we all have those nervous little tics. Um, okay, so is that about it for miracles? Just yeah. Every, every miracle is more or less just an argument from ignorance. That's, yeah. That's more or less yeah. our point, right? Right. Okay. Um, so you know who Glenn Beck is. Unfortunately, yeah. Yes. And you know who Ted Cruz is? <laughs> Even more unfortunate. No, yeah. actually, I don't know. They're both really awful. Yeah. Um, well, Glenn Beck has recently come out in support for Ted Cruz. Yep. And has been kind of going around telling a bunch of people why Ted Cruz is so awesome. And that there might be apocalyptic consequences <laughs> if we don't elect T- Ted Cruz as the next president. Has Glenn Beck, like, met Ted Cruz? I would imagine so. Okay. It seems like he's the sort of person that could make that happen. If yeah, he really I guess wanted so. To be done. I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. now they're probably, like, in cahoots together, but... Yeah. So, so I have a uh, clip from YouTube. YouTube. Um, from... Of, of Glenn Beck ranting and raving about how awesome Ted Cruz is and how we need to um, elect him. So... Let's just get it started. Please do. I am the guy who talked in, ni- in 2000, 1999. I told the, the listeners of New York when I was on WABC, I'm telling you, there will be blood and bodies and buildings in the street, and the guys whose signature will be on it will be Osama bin Laden, and it'll happen in the next decade. Nobody listened to me, and nobody believed me. In 2006, I started talking about the housing crisis. Nobody listened. Nobody wanted to hear it. The crash came in 2008. Nobody wanted to hear about the caliphate. I was mocked and ridiculed. I am telling you right now, this is your last call, America. This is your last call. Let's pause it for a second. Okay. So, so far, Glenn Beck has given us multiple examples of how he is a modern-day prophet. Yeah, which is ridiculous, <laughs> especially with the economic crisis. Like there were some pretty, pretty obvious mm-hmm. warning signs that something was going to happen. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it, it's just kind of funny, especially coming from a Mormon. Yeah. Because Mormons are very particular about the idea of prophecy. Right. Quick question. Mm-hmm. So he converted to Mormonism, right? Yes. Do you know what religion he was before he converted? Um, not specifically. Hmm. I know it was some flavor of christian but i I don't know what exactly because i feel like his 
like this side of Glenn Beck, I feel like is heavily influenced by whatever religion he was outside of Mormonism. I feel like uh-huh. he's created kind of his own brand of Mormonism, mm-hmm. and it's heavily influenced by this evangelical type. Yeah, like of Christianity. It's, it's become something of a, a firebrand Mormonism. Yeah, it's really bad. Especially when he, he starts talking about like uh, his prepper type stuff and how he wants to like have his own uh, like his own bunker, city, his own city. Yeah, yeah, separate. From, they did an episode uh, on that on the Document evil Obama administration and all that. Yeah, like everybody's just running around with yeah. guns. <laughs> well, I think he actually bought up land in Texas. I wouldn't doubt it. Pretty yeah. close to wherever Document Debate is at. Dallas, I think. Yeah, it was like, it was really close to where they were at, and they were freaking out about it. <laughs> it's pretty funny. That is pretty good. Okay. So, so Glenn Beck is a prophet. And crazy. And, and crazy. Not really a prophet. Right. I'm here not as somebody to endorse Ted Cruz, even though I have. I'm not here as a guy you listen to on the radio. Yeah, you are. I'm here as a citizen. Okay. Oh, yeah. You have to talk about what he looks like. So, okay. So this is like the perfect image of Glenn Beck. He's standing in front of a big jumbotron. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, like when he says, I am a citizen, Mm -hmm. he takes off his hat. His his baseball baseball cap. Yeah. And he's wearing this deep blue... Um, lumberjack shirt. Lumberjack uh, flannel shirt. With like another he, blue shirt underneath it. He is literally wearing blue collar. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a huge departure from what he usually looks like on his show. Right, where he looks very, very ritzy. Exactly. Like He's he, usually wearing some kind of like sweater or like um, a button up. Quite often will wear a scarf around his I neck. Know, which I find hilarious. Yeah. And now he's wearing a baseball hat and a button down lumberjack shirt. Yep. Okay. It's like pandering. Yep. <laughs> As a fellow citizen, he would be a great actor. Begging you, please do not dismiss the peril that we are in. Do not dismiss. (laughs) Fall to your knees and pray to God to reveal to you what the hour is. It's code. Ask the dear Lord, our dear Lord, to show you. Who the man is that has the integrity, who has the connection, who will fall to his knees at the resolute desk, who before he asks doesn't think of a poll, but looks to the Constitution and the the Holy Scriptures. Our Bible and the Constitution both come from God. They are both sacred scriptures. Oh my gosh. Again, he's a Mormon. Yeah. He doesn't just believe in the Bible and the Constitution. Uh-oh. He believes in the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. Right. Which is why if I didn't know he was prophets, LDS, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to guess that he was LDS, to be perfectly honest. Right. It, it surprised me when yeah. I found out. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he panders so much to the, the evangelical Christian demographic. Because they dominate the nation. Right. And they, <laughs> and they love to give money to people like him. Yep. You know, look at Fox News. Look yep. at Sean Hannity, Bill mm-hmm. O'Reilly, you know. Mm-hmm. Sarah Palin. (laughs) Okay. I know there is a God. How? And those who worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob must begin to stand together shoulder to shoulder for the rights and the responsibilities that we have been given. I know there is a God. I testify to you that I see a storm 
There's the testimony. Yeah, there's the the Mormon lingo. Yeah. What's what's interesting is that he makes it sound like um, the religious, right? Mm -hmm. Haven't been standing together or haven't been doing their part and like, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever. I can't think of the word I'm thinking. But he's talking to people that, you know, that are on his side. Like this type of speech would make more sense in like a democratic setting where he's like, you've got to chastise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. It's just weird. It's like you're not getting any more votes these people that are there already want to vote for ted cruz right and they already think that ted cruz is a godsend yeah they already believe that the constitution is from god Mm -hmm. you know it's like he's not saying anything new he's just stirring up the fever pitch yep and god does have a place for each and every one of us it is your job now to be able to sleep at night. I just like that he holds the clip. To go door finger. to door, <laughs> to talk to every person you know, to find the candidate that will stand where God is telling him to stand in an unshakable way. Get your family to vote. Get your friends to vote. You cannot stand on the sideline. It is not enough for you just to go out and vote. You must be an evangelist for the Constitution of the United States. This. Okay. Remember yesterday when I showed you that clip mm-hmm. of Triumph, the insult comic dog, yep. who has been, uh, he's been stalking Ted Cruz mm-hmm. on the road, like he has so his own funny. bus and everything, yeah. following him around. And uh, th- there was that one part in the clip where Ted Cruz has a, a, a line where he says, I "Just thought of that." Yeah, mm-hmm. he says. Uh, you need to go find... Uh, you, you, should he says, find... you vote 10 times, right, and then right. he explains how times. you do that. Yeah, you vote 10 times, and then he has this little quote, or this little joke that he says, now, we're not Democrats. Right. We're supposed to be a dig to, uh, was it John Kerry or something? Um, anyway. anyway. Um, and so, yeah. And then he says, you have to convince, like, nine other people to vote for me, and that will equal you voting 10 times. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, that's exactly basically what he's talking about. Saying. Yeah, you, you need to go out and, you know, evangelize. Like, this is so important that you need to put in time and mm-hmm. money of your own mm-hmm. to go around and knock on doors and convert people to Ted Cruz. Yep. <laughs> is your last call, America. Stand. Stand. For the man I believe was raised for this hour, Ted Cruz. So yeah, Ted Cruz or it's the apocalypse. Born for this. Which 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 would you choose? Ted the Cruz apocalypse. or the apocalypse? The apocalypse. The apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, somehow that seems better. Yeah, because then we wouldn't have mm-hmm. to go through any of this ever again. Yeah. Everything just ends. <laughs> so um I just had this thought. I would hate to be in the same Sunday school class as Glenn Beck. Oh, he would just dominate the class. And testimony meeting. Can you imagine mm-hmm. that? I bet he's one of those that gets up every week. Yep. Ugh. I bet I bet the bishop has, has talked to him and said, you know, we need to give some of the other members an opportunity to share their testimony. <laughs> so I can totally see that happening. Unless the bishop <laughs> is a supporter of Glenn Beck, in which case. Maybe. I don't know. So, um, before we move on, I don't okay. know, did you have anything else to say about the clip? No. Okay. Just for Glenn Beck is ridiculous. Right. So Ted Cruz has a logo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you remember what his logo is? Yes. Trust Ted. Trusted. 
Right. So they, they split up the word trusted with trust, T-R-U-S, and Ted, T-E-D, so his name. Right. So implying that you should trust Ted Cruz. Right. Mm-hmm. Super simple, kind of catchy. As far as logos go, it's actually not that bad. Right. It just uh, makes Until me... Until this came out. <laughs> it, 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 makes me, it makes me distrust the word trusted now, but... <laughs> it doesn't make me trust Ted anymore. Right. Um, the, but it turns out that the first part of the logo, TRUS, T-R-U-S, stands for something. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so this is from an article at dailycos.com. Um, and the, uh, the title is Ted Cruz's logo, hilariously appropriate. Okay. Um, so trust, as it turns out, has a, an actual meaning. It's an acronym here, for something. It's an acronym. So here is what the acronym trust stands for. A transrectal ultrasound is a, is an ultrasound technique that is used to view, is used to view a man's prostate and surrounding tissues the ultrasound transducer probe sends sound waves through the wall of the rectum into the prostate gland, which is located directly in front of the rectum. And then they add, this is the commentary from the article. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the very top Google result. Basically, it's an anal probe. <laughs> so, yes. So, Ted is an anal probe. Yes, trust Ted. Anal probe Ted. Anal probe Ted. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's even better. Yeah. All right. Um, what else you got? So, I just found this um, little article in the LDS Enzyme mm-hmm. called Mormon's Miraculous Book. Just from the title, you mm-hmm. can pretty much guess that it's going to be about the Book of Mormon. Right. Um. It is written by a John L. Sorensen, who is Professor Emeritus of Anthropology at Brigham Young University. Sounds prestigious. What does Professor Emeritus mean? It means they're retired. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure. Okay, anyway, so basically, from, <laughs> I read this really fast, like skimmed it, mm-hmm. because I was not as prepared as I should have been for this. <laughs> but um, from just reading through it really quick, Basically, he's talking about um, why, like, what the limitations on Mormon's work were. So, Mormon is the guy that compiled the Book of Mormon that, like, mm-hmm. um, put it all together after everyone had written their own books. Right. So, so the idea is that the the Book of Mormon is a history book from about 600 BC mm-hmm. to what is it, 421 AD, mm-hmm. and the you know, various people. Um, have had the responsibility of being the historian of the civilization and they would write things down on plates. And so mm-hmm. they had um, different sets of plates and Mormon took all the different sets of plates mm-hmm. and compiled or, or abridged them into, uh, like he took like the main points and created one book, which is now apparently the Book of Mormon. Right. So he explains that this project that Mormon undertook um, started at the last location where the Nephites camped before mm-hmm. they finally gathered to the land of Cumorah. Um And he goes into how the conditions that the Nephites were living in would have been nothing but harsh, that they were refugees um, that didn't have like certain sources for food and clothing and shelter, 
and that Mormon started writing this or putting it together um, in like a four-year period mm-hmm. of prep before the final battle agreed to by the Lamanite commander. Um, so the the um, the abridged history was completed and the archive was buried in the Hill Cumorah well before the final conflict. Okay, so he go he lists off five limitations on Mormon's work. Okay. So he he says consider some of the limitations Mormon faced in realizing his aim. So the first one is the size of his new record would have to be severely restricted. The book had to be portable enough that Moroni could carry it to a safe location. Okay. Okay. The second one is the physical product must be prepared to endure for centuries. Okay. Okay. Three, of the possible writing systems Mormon could use, only one was concise enough to fit in the book. (laughs) The fourth one is the narrative had to be of practical length, faithful to the facts of history and the records he was summarizing, and phrased in a manner he considered appropriate. Five, the work schedule was short. Mormon had little more than three years to do all of the compiling and writing of over 600 years of history. He may not have had time enough, oh, time even to read through all the archival records in his hands, and there surely would be no time for stylistic fine-tuning or re-editing. So, in other words, he's describing the process of abridgment. Right. <laughs> um, and I feel like he's making excuses. Yeah. Especially with um, the whole writing systems thing and mm-hmm. um, how, like, he couldn't write about everything in history and that mm-hmm. there are other records that he couldn't talk about. Right. Um, so he asks the question, um, how did Mormon actually choose what information to include and what to omit? Um, he says that, you know, he was inspired um, in many ways. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the next um, little section is called Choosing a Writing System. So Mm -hmm. this is talking about why um, he used, quote-unquote, Reformed Egyptian. Right, which is a made-up language. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, I I saw something um, the other day on Reddit. Mm -hmm. This might have been like a week or so ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was a picture of the character sheet from uh, the Book of Mormon that Joseph Smith wrote down characters mm-hmm. from the Book of Mormon, gave it to Martin Harris, who then showed it to Dr. An- Charles Anthon to yeah. verify as legitimate characters from a real language. Mm-hmm. Okay? And uh, and this is a sheet that you can find at various places on the internet. Um, and, and it's, yeah, it, it, anytime that anybody's ever tried to examine it as a, a linguist, mm-hmm. um, they, they've come to the conclusion that it's gibberish. Um, which is just fun. And mm-hmm. that was more or less what Charles Anthon, his his own account said, um, not the account that Joseph Smith said, um, mm-hmm. that this just wasn't a real language. There's no reason to think it was a real language. It looked like it was just random stuff pulled from different languages and then turned at different angles and that kind of stuff or right. flipped backwards. Uh-huh. And uh, the, uh, the thing on Reddit that I found um, actually went through all of the different characters and like tweaked them just a little bit, turned them, like flipped them, mm-hmm. and and uh, out of all of the characters, he made, or the, the person made, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero, and A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all, all the way down to Z. Okay. All of the numbers, all of the alphabet are in that character sheet. Oh. Joseph Smith used the alphabet and the number system that we use and tweaked them to make that character sheet. 
Oh, interesting. Isn't that kind of creepy? Yeah, yeah. I want to see that. Yeah. I thought I knew what you were talking about, but that was something different. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So back to this, the choosing a writing system. Um, basically, he talks about how Mormon says um, in Third Nephi that um, there are many things which, according to our language, we are not able to write. Um, and according, uh, our language apparently is supposed to be that in the sense um, that it refers to their writing system, not their spoken tongue. Mm-hmm. So he's just setting it up to why he there are going to be mistakes and things like that. Right. Simple mistakes like, you know, calling a horse or mm-hmm. a tapir a horse and... Uh, and saying that people have steel swords and right. breastplates when it's really just clubs and yeah. leather. Uh-huh. <laughs> he continues and says that Moroni further tells us that there would have been no imperfection had they used Hebrew script, an alphabetic system. Um, and that, I guess, is in Mormon, chapter mm-hmm. 9. Uh, so the characters that were used for writing were called by the Nephite historians, mm-hmm. this is what he says, Reformed Egyptian, right. which you just talked about. Um which are essentially hieroglyphs. Yeah. From the way that they describe it. Right. So the author says Egyptian glyphs were occasionally used in ancient Palestine to write the sounds of Hebrew words. Um, oh, and he talks about the Anton script. Mm. From the sample of characters in the Anton transcript, which purports to be a copy of characters from the plates Joseph Smith translated, it is apparent that they were not modeled directly on the Egyptian writing in everyday use in Lehi's time. They look more mm. like signs of hieratic Egyptian an older parallel sign system still used by the Egyptians when they employed brush and ink instead of engraving on stone. I wonder where he's getting that from. Because right. again, every non-Mormon scholar that's looked at that, that transcript has come to the same conclusion that it's nonsense. Right. I just think this is interesting because it's in the enzyme. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. So he says the high, the hieratic system, I'm not sure I'm saying that right, mm-hmm. um, was more concise than the alphabetic um, Hebrew script, but also more ambiguous because a large majority <laughs> of the characters represented whole complex morphemes or words, today called logograms, rather than sounds spelled out to form words as in an alphabet. <clears throat> so the meaning of each of those had to be memorized, which is why this ambiguity may have been part of the problem of the placing of our words, quote-unquote, spoken of by Moroni. That's just absolute nonsense, especially when you consider yeah. the fact that just a couple months ago, the Ensign had an article clarifying the process through which Joseph Smith allegedly translated the Book of Mormon, where he put a seer stone inside of a hat yeah. <laughs> and looked at it, and it displayed literally glowing words. Exactly. Word for word. Yeah. It was God doing the translating, not yeah, Joseph. not Joseph. Right? Mm-hmm. And it would show him each word individually, and if he got it wrong... In English. In English. And if he got it wrong... It wouldn't move it wouldn't on to the move next on word. To the next word. Right. Okay? That is completely in contradiction to what that article is saying. Yep. He <laughs> continues with his imperfections. Um, okay. So he says, an additional cause of quote, imperfections, could have been that since hieratic Egyptian was mainly used to write cursively, its use to engrave a record on metal plates could mean that minor slips of an engraver's hand without an effective eraser at hand to make corrections could result in misreading the characters. Two things. One, that's absolutely absurd. Because if it's if it's really a cursive style of writing, you wouldn't use it to engrave. Exactly. You this would not have wouldn't. been effective. And again, not a problem for God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the next section he talks about that there are many sets of records um, 
basically implying that not everything is included in the Book of Mormon. He he lists off a couple of them. He says the text of King Benjamin's Great Discourse, the record on the plates of Zenith, Alma's first person preaching at Zarahemla, Gideon and Melech, the story of Alma's and Amulek's experiences at Ammonihah, the detailed account of the ministry of the sons of Mosiah and their companions among the Lamanites, and Alma's discourses to his sons Helaman, Shiblon, and Coriantin. And these, I feel like these stories in the Book Mm. of Mormon are like huge stories in the Book of Mormon. And he's just, it's just interesting to say that they didn't include all of the, all of the records from that time. He just picked and chose like, so he's just still saying that there are Mm. mistakes because we omit, he omitted some maybe vital information. Right. I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, the, yeah, I've I've thought about that before when I I've read the Book of Mormon. It's like, and and we said so many more things that were so profound that they would convince right. everybody of all these things. It's like, uh-huh. well, why wouldn't you put those mm-hmm. in? It sounds like those are way more important things than the things that you've chosen that wouldn't convince everybody. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is it that you're waiting for? Mm-hmm. So, in the last section, it's called um, "And Thus We See." Um. So Mormon said several times uh, that his abridgment couldn't treat more than a fraction of the historical material found on the large plates of Nephi. Mm -hmm. So again, how did he make his selection of materials? So the author says that um, Mormon's primary criterion comes through repeatedly in his book. Mm-hmm. The aim was to ensure that his readers, especially the future inhabitants of the American Promised Land, and particularly Lehi's descendants, grasp the significance for them of the promise and prophecy given to Father Lehi, which was, inasmuch as ye will keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. Um, just skip right. that part. Unless, of course, you're a Lamanite. Then, right. you, then you get to prosper either way. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, so this is what I wanted to talk about, too. Um, so he brings up that... Um, Mormon's lessons draw a big contrast between good and evil, and it's mm-hmm. a very dramatic distinction. Right. And uh, he basically says he does it on purpose. That's why there's not any, like, middle ground. He says the mm-hmm. people in his record emphasize obedience and virtue on the one hand versus stubborn villainy on the other. He describes scoundrels as thoroughly evil and deserving of their fates. He describes hero- heroes as praiseworthy in almost all respects. Characters in the gray zone are barely noted. Mormon wanted to leave no question in the minds of his readers that good and bad are polar opposites. Mm-hmm. Mormon certainly colored some of his reporting with inspired personal interpretation. This stance is often signaled by use of a phrase like, and thus we see. Right, so the Book of Mormon is very black and white. Exactly. Which to me doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like Mormon is using this as a literary device. It sounds no. to me like... He has an agenda. It sounds to me like Joseph Smith was a fundamentalist Christian in the early 1900s. Exactly. That's what Where it sounds everything like to me. was black and white. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's why the church is so black and white today because yep. they take this to heart. That's mm-hmm. why if you live in the gray zone, you are being rebellious. Yep. Yeah, it's silly. Yeah, it is silly. <laughs> so, I just thought it was kind of interesting, especially yeah. that that was in the enzyme. Yeah. It sounds like something that would be on Fair Mormon. Yeah, it does kind of sound apologetic mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just making excuses. Mhm. Yeah, which is all apologetics really is, is coming up with a reason for why there's incongruencies or inconsistencies right. anachronisms. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, why are, like, why would the Book of Mormon say that there were horses in America when we know that there weren't horses in America or when, when there's no evidence that there were horses in America? Right. It's like, well, we, well, maybe it, 
maybe it was a mistranslation. Maybe they meant to say tapir. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. legitimately a thing that, that Mormon apologists put on fairmormon.org. Yep. They say that horses in the Book of Mormon are a mistranslation and it meant tapir. Mm-hmm. For real? Which has inspired some pretty awesome memes. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> A Captain Moroni. Riding into battle yeah. on a tapir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's pretty funny. That's pretty, pretty good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about the whole Searstone thing, and you're completely right. It completely yeah. discounts what he just wrote. Exactly. And this issue came out this month. So it's brand new. Yeah, it's brand yeah. new. It's not like it came out 10 years ago before the Searstone thing. Mm-hmm. It's new. <laughs> <laughs> and inconsistent with the newest findings of the church. Yeah. <laughs> that's fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Okay. Was that all you got for the articles? For, yeah, I mean, I could talk about another one, but... That's okay. I think we're Unless good. you really want to. No, no? we're good. Okay. Cool. Well, I think this is a good time to wrap it up, then. Sounds great. That is our show. Thanks for listening. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to stop being so happy so when happy. I do that. Yeah. <laughs> Sooner or later, we'll just taper off. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would like to contact us, you can email us at skepticsquaredpodcast at gmail.com. You can view the show's blog at www.skepticsquaredpodcast.blogspot.com. You can rate and review us and subscribe to us on iTunes, and uh, we also got it on YouTube now. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's up and running on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's our show. Talk to you later. (laughs) (laughs) Bye now. Bye.